Hey, this is David Ellison from Megadeth here. It is time to focus on metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott here, and can you believe it? Live, in person, in the studio, the one and only... Am I? Uh, you are. It's amazing. <laughs> it, is, it, it is a COVID miracle. <laughs> no, that COVID thing's old news. Uh, it's good to, good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a while. No shit, huh? Yeah. Holy crap. But yeah, it's good. It's good. I was uh, I was quite surprised when you said, I'll be down. So yeah. Like, Holy uh, crap. All I right. To, so I have to get the stink off me. So <laughs> It's good. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to have you back in the studio, kind of chatting face to face as well. So, uh, yeah, much better. Good deal. Skype. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, got good guests this week. Uh, you're talking to John Wiederhorn. Yeah. And uh, I can never. I I keep forgetting the name of the podcast that he does. It's backstaged. What the devil in metal? The devil in metal. Yeah. And uh, it, this it's interesting. You know, I'm editing it, and the whole time I'm editing it, I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, we're gonna have, we're gonna feature another podcast on our podcast." Yeah. You know, and I don't know how you felt about that, but it's you know, to me, I I think back to you know when we started this show, you know, back in 2010, and you would tell somebody, uh, you know, you're doing a netcast, you're doing a podcast. Ninety percent of the people would look at you with glazed looks on their face, like, "What's that? No idea." And you kind of would go through, you know, stuff about, you know, you remember Adam Curry from MTV and he did this and you try to, you, you try to put some, some context around it and still people are like just looking at you with dull faces. They don't get it. And, you know, here we are now in, you know, 2021 and you've got everybody and their mother doing podcasts and, you know, it's all mostly celebrities. So when you look at a lot of the top ones, it's, it's it's all like big names in media and stuff like that. And some of them do it very well, but then there's others that's kind of like, well, Jesus, we've been like doing this space for a long time and being grassroots and, you know, doing it for free and all that. And now you got people moving in. So I, I was kind of, a, you know, a little bit of mixed feelings with, with when you I'm editing John because I'm thinking, you know, here's somebody else who is he's a pretty named journalist. And I mean, I, you know, the books he's done and stuff and, and it's, uh, you know, it's in a way it's cool, but then another, it's like, geez, it's another essentially big guy getting into it. And he's got a, you know, a good sized media company behind it as well. And I stuff. know. And I, they reached out to me, mm. uh, to have him on the show. And I had John on last year for his, um, raising hell, the backstage. Yeah. TV yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. And did you have him on for louder than hell? The history of metal that. No, we, no, when that came out, we were still kind of, you know, not getting a lot of that kind of stuff happening. But, I mean, obviously, it's it's on the shelf there somewhere beside you. Uh, great book. I, you know, I, I grabbed that thing up. Yeah, yeah, that was a good read. And that's, that's what, nearly 10 years old now, I think. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I mean, you asked him, and I, I'm glad you did. You, you know, you asked him about... You know, putting out another one. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened since then as well. And I mean, it's it's weird, right? Because you get times where metal doesn't really seem to move much at all, and then all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. And I would think that over the last ten years, a lot of stuff's happened. And uh, you know, I, not, I like not, his response. Not, this, not in the last year. Yeah, not in the last year. That's true. <laughs> um, but but it, you know, I liked his response, and I'll let it you know roll in the interview. But I, I almost wished he would have said, "Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll do like another volume." You know, instead of trying to increase that book, but maybe come out with a with a volume two that's got some maybe some additional stuff that we'd like to have gotten in the first book, and then like supplemental stuff after that. Uh, that's probably not going to sell. I think it's you got to you got to do a revised edition and add some stuff on. I think is the, is the way to go because it's a lot of work doing another whole book on that. Well, it is. There's a it, reason the stuff wasn't in the first book. Yeah, this I mean, it's but it's a lot of work to edit that gigantic thing too you know so it's like what else do you what do you take out what do you add in i don't know i just thought like a supplemental might be a little a little better thing maybe you know plus because the you know, the other thing I, I think about is um there's less and less idiots like you and i that are actually buying books and uh you know people are just kind of consuming on youtube and stuff like that and and 
you know, if it's another giant tome, it might be uh, people are kind of backing off from it. So, you know, I was thinking about it that way, too. Like, what, what does sell these days? So Yeah, I'm really, I'm a dinosaur with all this stuff. I'm, I'm, I've always been a physical product guy. Yeah. I don't do Kindle. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, um, look at the pile of books in front of you. I mean, I know. Like, my, <laughs> my, my room at home is the same. Yeah, um, it's just it's full and full of books yeah. and magazines, and I don't do the streaming. I don't do Spotify. I always ask for a physical copy, and they'll always offer to send me a PDF, um, as as well. And I always say no. I want to read the book before I talk to the author. Yeah, I want to read it properly because. It's a disservice to myself, and it's definitely a disservice to the to the author if I don't read the book first. And they can pick up on that within the first five minutes yeah. of you talking to them. Yeah, and so then I, a lot I, of them too. And I, I know we've both had this experience of the, the author suddenly realizes that we didn't just read the book, but like we absorb the book. Yeah, and and it suddenly clicks in their brain of like, holy shit, these guys have really actually read this thing because they want to. And and have some really good insights and questions and comments and stuff. And, yeah, I think we've both had that experience. Yeah, it, and the question that always piques the guys in, the, or the girls' interest who you're interviewing, you'll ask them something, um, why, why wasn't this in the book? Yeah. And if you didn't read the book and it was in there and you asked that question, you'd look like the right tool. So the yeah. person knows damn well you've read it. And... When I had Danny Zalisco on, we spoke for two hours and 20 minutes, and I read the book back to front. He knew he knew pretty up quickly that I'd read it, yeah. and we ended up just shooting the shit for the last hour, yeah. just yeah. talking about memorabilia and stuff that was in the book, and some stuff that wasn't in the book, and I asked him why wasn't it in the book, and I want to have a conversation with the person, because normally with an author, if you don't read the book, the questions are very general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why did you pick this publisher? How come the book's only 240 pages? Yeah. What took um, you so long? What took yeah. you so long? <laughs> yeah. How many pictures are in it? Yeah. You know, and I'm, uh, you didn't read the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. But uh, anyways, you know, not to be, uh, not to be clickbaity, but uh, let's just, let's just throw it out there. And of course, now this is going to have about a week or so to, to brew and I'm sure more crap will probably come out from between us doing this tonight and, and when this airs. But uh, I got to say it, Ellison, like, what the hell? I, wasn't this Megadeth? I mean, this is Megadeth, right? Uh, this, this is Killing is my business and business is good. This is Megadeth, right? <laughs> it's a metal band, right? It's okay. It, it's not Striper, right? This is Megadeth. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It, what it, I think it's... Completely- and speaking of books, I saw someone had a great comment. I just, I, I read something, I think it was Blabbermouth, and someone wrote something about, okay, Dave's new book's going to be Life After Death. <laughs> <laughs> did, it, did he do something stupid? Yeah. Yeah. Did he deserve to get fired from Megadeth? No. No. I but, think there's, I, I, I agree with you. I, there's more to it. But There it, just is. It's, it's you the know, culture we live in. It's, it's the way things are going at the moment and with society. Yeah. Um, I said before I came in here that when, when it came out, what happened, Megadeth released a statement on social media saying that they were aware of what happened with David Ellison, that they're monitoring the situation closely. The minute they released that, I knew he was gone. Yeah. Um, it was only a matter of time be- because they didn't say anything about we support him or uh-huh. you, you know isn't that what good gr- christians are supposed to he's do he's still a great friend and they just released this sta- statement that said we're aware of it and we're closely monitoring it and when all the details come out we'll make a statement yeah and then of course they come out and they they, they you know they make it sound as if it's it's mutual parting of you know ways yeah. and i'm like you, know, you fired him yeah there's nothing yeah. mutual about it you, you fired him yeah. And it's, I don't know. it's easier for Mustaine, I think, to fire him now because Ellison is he's a he's a salaried employee of the band. Yeah. Even though he's he was in the band in the beginning, he gave up all that when yeah when he left and yeah. when you know around two thousand or whatever when Mustaine left and all you know, all that legal bullshit that yeah. came out, and then he came back and 
They released some great albums and everything was great. And I've interviewed Dave a couple of times. Yeah, he's a great interview. He's a great guy, nice yeah. guy, down to earth, very pleasant to talk to, very eloquent. Um, he did something stupid. And in my opinion, the band have just, or not the band, there is, it's Mustaine and management and whoever else is yeah. advising him. Yeah. Uh, he overreacted. Yeah, I think so. But then, you know, the other, the, it's sad to say, but. One of the first things I thought when I heard that was, oh, well, this is a way to get people talking about a new album coming out by Megadeth. Make a big freaking controversy. Mm, who's playing bass on the new album now? That's, that was another question. Is, it, is, is Allison going to be on there? Or are they going you know, to bring somebody else they bring in? bring someone else in. You know? they, 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 they won't, once he's gone out of the band, yeah. he's, he's, I, I, reckon, I yeah. reckon they'll replace his parts because yeah. they said in the statement that the album was almost done. Yeah. Exactly, and I was thinking, okay, great. Well, then maybe we'll get at least one one last, you know, Megadeth album with Junior on there. I, as you know, as a former bass player, I I I like his playing a lot. Hmm. You know, and I yeah, but I, again, it was like that was one of the first things I thought was, oh, you know, this is a it's good, good look, publicity churn. Yeah, but it's the look with that band. Yeah, you have Ellison and Mustaine. It's yeah. always been Ellison and Mustaine for the most part who've been in Megadeth. Yeah, from the very beginning, and now it's it's just Dave and. <laughs> <laughs> Dave isn't exactly an angel eater over the years. No, exactly. That's what I mean. It's it's freaking Megadeth. I mean, read all the other shit that's gone on, and and yeah, there's people that have had to be you know exited from the band because of stuff like that. But yeah, like you said, Dave has not been any angel either. And uh, you know, like I said before, you know, if, if it's all Christian values and all that shit, then where's the whole forgiveness crap? And you know, all, like really, this is. Let, let's let's say Extreme. let's say that Mustaine decided to keep him. Yeah. Right. And they were the new album came out and he went on tour. Do, do you think people would be talking about it when he went up on stage? Oh, there's Ellison. Like, what would be the backlash if he is the backlash worse if he kept him in the band than it is? No, I don't think so. Out? I think that that it would if he kept him. It, it shows a band. It shows the solidarity. It it doesn't show Mustaine and a few hired guns. You know, you it's it's not like you know Ellison is. It's one thing, right? And again, we don't know everything, but what we do know so far is it it was it was consenting. The other uh, person has come out and said supported Dave and said, "Yep, you know it it was t- totally consensual, all that, right?" So you have that as well. Um, and it isn't like he's going out and, and doing a Gary Glitter on kids or something. This is, you know, that would be a whole other story. But that's not what this is. And, you know, yeah, the, the, the guy made a mistake. He's going to have to deal with that mistake. But, uh, you know, I, I would think it would just be, you know, if you're really, you know, best friends and all this crap, then, then you support him. You know, and and whatever you know, whatever else he kind of needs to support you, you, you give it, and you, and you keep going. You don't just excise him from the band. You have to wonder what communication there was about what happened when they're releasing statements like we we don't know everything. Yeah, and they're still re- saying in statements that not everything has come out. And and like, did you not ask him? Right. Do you not have his phone number? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been, you've been in a band with him mo- yeah. on, and, on and off for the most part since 84, yeah. Yeah. 83. Yeah, it's, it's... Can you not pick up the phone and call the guy? Yeah. And say, listen, Dave, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I almost think that, you know, you, you uh, also hit part of the other thing on the head, which is that there's other things that were going on, and, and sure, there was something else that kind of yeah, he, bent, bent one Mustaine's of the nose the out of joint. they mentioned was mentioned a strained relationship and and that got me thinking and a lot of other people was there something going on anyway yeah that this was just the straw that broke the camel's back yeah right um and when this went down Mustaine went oh now we have a way of getting hmm. getting Ellison out yeah I don't yeah without don't without know. without me looking like the bad guy kind of a thing well, yeah, you, yeah like, I think he does look like the bad guy he does but I don't but, care but, what way he spins but you know place. what I mean on it I think I think you're right yeah it's yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. Um, I was really happy when Dave went, came back in the band. I felt like at least there was some 
stuff there that was that was Megadeth again. And you know, I mean, granted, even without Dave being in the band, uh, there was you know they put out great albums, like you said. Uh, but it just felt better when he was back. It looked better. Yeah, yeah. A did. lot of it was it, it looked better. It was Ellison and Mustaine uh-huh. in the band. Yeah. Um, yeah, because for a long time we've been used to, you know, it was Ellison Mustaine, and you know, then you had you had Menza, you know, that was in there. So you know, so we kind of got used to that whole thing of 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 you know new drummers, new guitar players coming in, and it was always Ellison Mustaine, Ellison Mustaine, you know. So you, yeah, so as as fans, we're used to that, and yeah. Now at the time we're talking. It's 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 funny, but it's not entirely unexpected. I haven't seen an, a lot. Now I'm not actively looking. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a lot of other musicians come out and say something about this. It's like it's a topic that a lot of them are avoiding, like the plague. Sure. The the day I'm speaking to you now, the only person I've seen actually rip Mustaine. Uh, was Stet Howland, the drummer in hmm. Metal Church. He hmm. had a Facebook post that's yeah. pretty... In, it's interesting to read, and it's a, it. he talks a little bit about Mustaine, and we're probably never going to tour with him again now because uh, because of what said, I'm saying yeah. here, and I don't give a fuck. Yeah, and, that, and that's when, you know, it's interesting you said that, because when you said about not a lot of people have come out yet, and I said, I really have not followed this, didn't have really any desire to follow it, um, but I thought, yeah, there's always this whole thing of, of you know, I mean, they've got you've already got a big packaged course scheduled as well, and, and Lamb of God, isn't yeah, it? and you know, the, the, so they always they always bring out you know bands. I mean, that was kind of the tradition with Gigantor as well. So yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a certain amount of power in the industry with that bookability and stuff, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to be reticent about wanting to do that. Be interesting when they do press for the new record. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you that the the PR person will tell you up front. You're not allowed to ask any questions about Ellison. Oh yeah, I'm um, yeah, guaranteed. And, and definitely, it, and if you're definitely talking to Kiko or Dirk, I don't even know if they'll be doing any press for it. Um, I guarantee you, you'll be told you can't ask any Ellison questions. Um, with Mustaine, the way Mustaine's, you know, would, would you ask him anyway? I don't know. I've never spoken to Dave Mustaine. Oh yeah, I think that would be uh, probably the. the Interview would end. I think it's a pussy move if the PR person does that. Now, they're probably being told to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm, now, I'm only guessing, but I think there's either two ways they can approach it. They can either say up front that we've already addressed it and we're not, we're not, we're not bringing it up anymore, or they'll just point blank the PR person will say, you are not allowed to ask any questions about David Ellison. Oh, yeah. It would res- because... You know, with respect to Dave's private life, they'll spin it that way uh-huh. that you're protecting Dave. Yeah, and it's like you just don't want to be asked anyway, even though you fired him. Yeah, yeah. you know that, that's that's the way they'll spin it. We, I I'm kind of long enough in the tooth in in this now yeah. doing the show that you kind of know the way the minds of these PR people work. Yeah. they want to protect you know the brand and promote it as best they can. Yeah, and there's I'll, I'll, there'll be some people out there. Um. You know, Chris Aiken in the classic metal show, yeah. he, he'll say, fuck that, I'm asking Mustaine if I get him. Sure. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Um, there are some people out there who will ask him. Yeah. Um, if, they, if they go click on the other end of the line, yeah. that's a fucking pussy move, I think, as well. Answer the fucking question. You yeah. fired him. Yeah. Stand up, you have some stones. <laughs> you fired the fucking guy. Right. You know? Yeah, it won't happen, though. It won't. It won't happen. It won't. It'll be, oh, your new album's great. Yeah. Oh, where did you find the bass player? He's fantastic. (laughs) He's fantastic. (laughs) Why didn't you get James Lomenzo back? (laughs) 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 That's what you're going to be getting. But, uh, yeah, it's um, not surprising news when when it happened. And it still sucks, though. It does. fucking sucks. It does. Dave's a... I don't know him, but I know him well enough at this stage to I'm talking to the guy that, you know, he made a mistake. He doesn't deserve to be fucking fired from the, the band because that's a lot of his livelihood. Yeah, and he's, he's always been good with us, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, so. he, has, he has all the other stuff as well, but yeah. the Megadeth was the main thing and everything else worked around that. Yeah. It all complemented each other. Yeah. And now that's been taken away. The 
guy in his, what, mid-50s. And yeah. Did something silly and, you know, the fucking world ended for Dave Mustaine. I was like, oh, you're, you're, you're gone. Yeah. Great. Good stuff. <laughs> you can tell I, guess, I guess this could be a, this could be another episode for John's podcast, right? You know, I, I'll just be the 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 devil and the internet and metal, but uh, yeah. So, and so, anyways, yeah. This week, getting all the way back to the beginning again. So, yeah, you talked to John Wiederhorn and uh, all about his uh, his podcast uh, backstage. Uh, I can never remember the devil in metal. Thank you, God. I don't know why. It's probably because it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you had a great chat with him. Uh, a little bit of audio weirdness as well. So it was kind of some yeah, ins and outs um, there. But, uh, I lost him twice. Yeah. But otherwise, still, it's a great interview. I, you know, stick around to hear the whole thing. And uh, what do you say we roll that now? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm good. So where are you? You're in New York, yeah? Yeah, well, New Jersey, real, real close. Okay, I'm just outside of Boston. Oh, nice! Yeah, I went to uh, to college there. I loved it. Okay, I interviewed you for the uh, the backstage tales book you brought out. I think January last year, wasn't it? Oh, okay, yeah, actually, it was Jeff. Huh? Good memory. Yeah, um, right before the shit hit the fan. Yeah, and then and then the world shut down. <laughs> and, and yeah, it did. There's been no backstage tales since. No, no, unfortunately. But, yeah, uh, everyone has cell phones anyway, so no one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have you on. I'm going to talk about the uh, the backstage, the devil in metal, the podcast. Now I've listened to the first two episodes, but I want to know whose idea was it to do this? Well, it's interesting. I've been working on some podcast ideas with with a buddy, and they're of a, a kind of different nature. But uh, at one point, maybe six months ago, Diversion Books who put out uh, Raising Hell, uh, contacted me and said they had a, uh, a tie-in with iHeart, and they're thinking of putting putting podcasts together out of uh, some of the books that they've, that they've published, and wanted to know which of their authors had material that was suitable to podcasts and were, in fact, interested. And I said, yeah, sign me up. That'd be great. So they said, okay, we need a full proposal from you on you know what you want to do with it. And I thought it was pretty strictly to promote the book because we were in the real infant stages at that point. So I, I pretty much threw together a proposal that pointed out who would be featured in it and how the, the chapters would work. I'm sorry, the episodes would work and how they'd follow the chapters in the book. So the proposal went to iHeart and iHeart said, yeah, we, uh, we love the idea. We want to do a metal podcast and we like the writer and we see that, you know, he's got some, some sort of resume, but we want something that's a little, little more historical, a little bit deeper than just stories. I was like, okay, that's totally cool because that's you know more or less what I did with my first book, and which combined the kind of two. Uh, it was Louder Than Hell, which came out about ten years ago. So we started bandying about ideas and came up with this thread of. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I I'll, lost you. I don't, I, lo- I don't know what happened. It was like, hello? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, it, my phone says I have three bars, but then sometimes it just decides to uh, to shut off. So. Okay, so do you know where you st- do you know where you stopped? Yeah, so, so um, you know, they love the idea of uh, doing a metal podcast, and they like my credentials. Um, but they thought that just doing a podcast based on wild sensational stories like like the book is um structured the way you know the way the book is structured uh wasn't exactly what they wanted to to uh go with they wanted something that that offered a bit more history and a bit more perspective and uh i thought that's cool i can you know i can do that because we did it with uh my co-writer and i did that one when when i wrote louder than hell 10 years ago which is really a history of an oil history of metal from the 60s to the present, but with lots of wild stories thrown in. This metal is pretty much a <laughs> genre whose whose participants have loads of wild stories if they remember them. Sharon! Um, so uh, we, we started thinking about a theme and uh, a first episode, and they wanted a really strong first, epi- first couple episodes. And... Uh, the idea came out about, because I, I was talking about Iron Maiden and, and their use of, of uh, 
Lucifer on the cover of Number of the Beast and how this idea of the devil pops up and uh, Black Sabbath has the devil's note and, of course, has demonic themes. And uh, not to do an occult podcast or anything, but uh, almost uh, in a not tongue-in-cheek way, but to tie threads together, we thought, well, let's let's use the idea of metal bands tying into dark imagery and, um, you know, sometimes occult-oriented lyrics to present this type of, of music that, that takes hard rock or, or, or early metal to the next level and, and uh, approaches the world from an idea of extremism, um, which is really, I think, what metal is, is about, uh, pushing boundaries and, and you know, upping the ante by adding levels of extremism to kind of each, each successive genre. So um, with that established, uh, we decided that, that episode one could be about the, uh, the occult and uh, the, the role that the occult has played in metal. And uh, instead of just the crazy stories, I thought it would be really cool to, to approach it with uh, a historical perspective on really why this music uh, started incorporating elements of the occult, which bands took it seriously, which were in it for shock or performance value, and uh, then what were the effects once it came out? How did parents react? How did kids react? So uh, I brought in the whole idea of the satanic panic of the 80s when uh, uh, people started freaking out because there were things going on in society that were occult-related, uh, be it the uh, the Manson murders or, uh, you know, um, these crazy rumors that were circulating that uh, that occult occult groups were were killing farm animals and draining their blood when actually that I didn't tell the story but having done some research it turned out to be insects that were uh, draining the blood of these cows and farms and freaking everybody out so of course when there's a mystery you blame it on the devil uh-huh. and that that set off this this whole satanic panic which is a really interesting um, phenomenon and caused a lot of parents to look into their kids' record collections and find things like Number of the Beast and said, uh-uh, no, you're not going to have this. You will not in my house. So. <laughs> yeah, John, one of the things I, I, I get from the first two episodes that, that I've heard, you were a fan of all this stuff when it came out. This isn't something that you're revisiting or researching now to find out what all these bands were, were about when they came out. Like you were, you were on board with Venom, you were on board with Sabbath, all the bands that you're naming, you were a fan of very early on. I'm glad you. I'm glad you point that out because it was really important to me to uh, present myself not just you know as as a journalist who's done his research, but also as as someone who's followed this music since I was you know a pre teenager and uh, has has watched every kind of. Uh, development within it and, and, you know, champion the bands that I loved and uh, get across the idea that I'm not this kind of snobby critic who, you know, listens to a record once and then hammers something out, but that I'm a real fan and, and uh, the, the devotion that people have to this music is incredible, both for the musicians and, and bands who can stick by one band for decades and get their, you know, get their panties in a bunch if someone makes one little critical mistake uh, in a review or something, or, or even just disagrees with their point of view about something. Mm. I just noticed over the weekend, you know, K.K. Uh, Downing is putting out his band uh, called uh, K.K.'s Priest, which is uh, him uh, and uh, uh, Tim uh, the Ripper Owens, who um, you know, joined Judas Priest after Rob Halford left. And he's doing his version of the band, which sounds very much like Priest, because he was one of the founders. And some people are just losing it. They're up in arms. And others are saying, well, hey, wait, wait a minute. He was the founding guitarist, and one of the founding guitarists, and the other founding guitarist isn't even in the other band. And so, you know, there's this, this absolute passion, this obsession. And I think that's a cool thing, but it also opens the door for lots of smack talking. Yeah, yeah. Now... When you did the Louder Than Hell book, you would have covered this extensively in the book. When they asked you to do the podcast, 
did part of you think, well, what more can I add? I've already kind of did it 10 years ago in the book. Um, has there been anything new that's come out since that you can address in, in the podcast that wasn't in the book? Well, the cool thing about the podcast to me is that while I've delved into the history and presented the quotes from the participants, I haven't really put a lot of my thoughts or my opinions in because I didn't think they mattered that much in the context of an oral history. So with this podcast, I'm, I'm able to present those stories of when I was first listening to Venom or uh, Discovering Sabbath, you know, or what happened when I went out to interview in um, and then tell the story through the quotes of the guys and, and um, the, the history of, of, of what happened. Um, metal fans can never get enough of metal stories. So even if you hear the, and the story of, um, let's say, uh, Tony Iommi cutting off his, his fingers in an industrial accident and how that affected his playing, um, I think if it's told well, that, People won't say, "Oh, I've heard this story. This one's, you know, this is this is old hat." Or why Rob went on the Rob Halford went on stage with a motorcycle, or you know how uh, um, Metallica toured with Guns N' Roses and there was a huge riot because Guns N' Roses left the stage early. Like these are just kind of legends that go on and on. <clears throat> so any any new perspective or or any additional um, insight or even just talking about it again is not an immediate turnoff to, to, to metal fans unless it's told without um, without an informed opinion or or a uh, you know any knowledge of the subject so mm. that wasn't a problem um, and uh, yeah the podcast is just a great new format to to explore this this kind of stuff I'd never done one so I'd never yeah I'd done radio in college but uh I was like, God, what's my voice going to sound like in a podcast? <laughs> and and uh, I'm I'm not thrilled with it, but other people think it sounds good. <laughs> you know, as long as, as I've got a great team, fantastic diversion who um, work with me on on. Uh, I mean, I have autonomy on when it comes to putting the episodes to, together and writing them, but they'll add their two cents. And they'll say, yeah, we think this will work, or no, nah, that's not such a great idea because it's a little insider baseball. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great down to, the, down to the people who are promoting it and putting up social posts. It's just a great, uh, a great team. Mm. John, I want to ask about the, the way you're doing the episodes. And in particular, it's just you on each podcast with cl- interview clips. Um, did you think about maybe getting a co-host on and having more discussion on each episode rather than just having you talk on each one? Yeah. Um, but then I thought, you know, we were write 30 minute, roughly 30 minute episodes. And I've got a lot to say yeah. and an awful lot of clips. And when I can, I'm, I'm getting new, new interviews. Uh, a lot of, a lot of the interviews in the, in the podcast are brand new, but then I have the luxury of being able to pull from my vault of, of, uh, interviews I've done over the past 30 years. So, um, I, I think if I had a partner as I did when I wrote louder than hell, which, which was great because we bounced ideas off each other, um, that might, um, what's the word? I, I guess, uh, make the process more um, cluttered. And and this way, I kind of have a vision of what I want to do with each story. I go through my archives. I go through my new interviews. I set up new, new interviews. So I kind of can cherry pick exactly what I want to say. And, I mean, to me, I love a lot of music podcasts, and I don't want to badmouth any of them. I love this Graceland. But uh, even even that, as great as it is, they don't really interview people, you know? They have great sound design, but I had the, the luxury of the access um, from having been a music journalist for a long time and, and both being able to hook up new interviews and, and having old ones to pull from. So um, I think a lot of people who do podcasts love music, but don't have the access. So I think that's one of the ways that, uh, that backstage stands, stands out. Mm. John, is it easy to balance the clips with your, you telling the story? 
I, I, I don't, it, it seems to me that you're probably 70, 75% and the clips are like 25%. Would, would that be fair? That's about right, but it really, it, the clips work wherever they work. Um, I want to tell a narrative story. The, the idea was not to do a sit-down interview where you're, you know, talking to a musician for 40 minutes. I mean, I love doing Q&As, but I thought this would, this would uh, be different in that I would go in with a narrative uh, arc. Uh, so there'd be a story arc, and then once that was in place, everything else could be could be inserted and and sometimes it's lots of interviews and uh you know like with the king diamond interview he goes on for i don't know five seven minutes because he's so interesting and and uh he has such a good story to tell um whereas some of the other quotes are you know just 30 seconds but um i really left it up to the quality of of uh, the material that i had and then uh tried to to uh really keep the story going with a powerful narrative that uh, was very descriptive and and uh, as compelling as I could make it. Mm. So, John, what is it, 12 episodes in all? There, we've got it down for 12 episodes right now. Some of them are doubles, like, like this one. The uh, And they, they weren't meant to be. It's funny. I, I put the, the devil and metal together, and I had no idea how long it was. It was the first episode. So I turned it into my producer... And he assembled, he, he, we record all the, uh, the, the VOs and then he inserts the quotes and taxi back. He's like, this is great, but it's twice as long as it's supposed to be. (laughs) What are we going to do now? Uh, so they, they grabbed the black hole. Everybody liked it. And then it was down to a choice of doing a 60 minute episode or, or breaking it down into two. And it worked for it to, uh, to break it down into two. So that's what we've done for uh, for a couple uh, of the episodes. Uh, there's a great interview I did with Rob Halford shortly after his book Confess came out, and uh, he was so honest and so forthright with me about the, the trials and tribulations that he's experienced in the band over 30 years, you know, being being closeted yet being a rock star. And uh, it's all in his book, but he gave me some extra context. So I thought I'd tell the whole story of Judas Priest from his perspective. And it's not just about his book. It really goes into the whole story from from the beginning up to the point where really uh, uh, both KK leaves the band and Glenn of Parkinson's. And I have some quotes from Glenn that I did last year. I think it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago. But where he started having symptoms of Parkinson's and couldn't tour. It must have been two years ago because he was... Uh, in tour last year. No one did. Nobody did. But yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. That year the time for that. Yeah. So um but it was it's really intense. because um, you can feel he's he's uh he's telling the truth but it hurts, you know? And and that's one of the things that's really cool, I think, is people are telling honest stories and some of it's some of it's uh really confessional and, and personal and um I'm grateful that they they opened up the way they did. Mm. Now, John, you would have done a lot of interviews over the years, and you're talking to various musicians about their beliefs. I want to know now. You're you're sitting in the chair talking to the person. When they started talking, did you ever get uncomfortable with where they, where they were going with their beliefs? That it, it clashed with yours in a way that made you feel like, oh, I I feel I don't feel a little bit. And I'm I'm not feeling this as much maybe as the way I should be. Only once in my career, really, and that's when I interviewed someone who I knew was a neo-Nazi uh, playing NSBM, and I, I'm not going to name him to get in the press. People can probably figure out who it is, but uh, I uh, I did not bond with him, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, I you know he's a very hateful man, and. Uh, I think hate and metal is great as long as it's not directed at people in a malicious way. Um, you can hate Christianity, you know, as as a idea of of being uh, organized religion. You know, you can hate conservatives. You can hate liberals. You, you can direct your hate any way you want. But I think when you when you point it at a specific group, then 
to me, that's my, my boundary. Now, the great thing about metal is it has no boundaries. Yeah. That's one great thing about it. So if people want to listen to MSCM or, you know, really hateful music, that's their prerogative. Um, we probably won't be great friends, but maybe we will. Who the hell knows? Because, you know, there's all kinds of... I love Public Enemy. And there was a, you know, there was a time where there was a lot of problems with some of their lyrics and some of their presentation and, and some of the quotes that they, that they made. But I think they made brilliant music. So um, there's that phone line between the quality of the music and, and the perspective of the musicians. Like, take these guys who burned churches and some of them committed acts of murder and some were horribly homophobic. And can you listen to Dissection? I don't know. They made great music, but... You know, the frontman who subsequently killed himself also killed a gay man because he was on the public. Uh, and that's a terrible thing to me. Um, so, you know, every person has their own, I think, point where they, they can decide what's acceptable. And uh, hopefully, even if they do listen to something that's, that's uh, objectionable, it doesn't rub off on you and you can differentiate between what's horrible and uh, what's music. Like the way these people listen to, uh, I mean, that's that's the whole idea. Of the, part of the idea of the whole satanic episode is Geraldo Rivera, for instance, did his show where he's drawing a parallel and saying, "Well, yeah, you know, I mean, these people who love metal, and then they went put a cat in a bag and beat it to death, and then they killed someone in their classroom, and you know, what about this metal made them do that?" I'm like, nothing in the metal made them do that. They were unstable people to begin with. And it's it's the age-old uh, argument that, that has been made with video games and, and horror movies. If you're unstable and something's going to gonna send you over the edge, you know, it might be metal. And uh, it might be the guy who, who, has loud, uh, uh, who has landscapers next door that are too loud. You know, there's going to be sociopaths out there. Um, and I think really graphic... Um, metal and, and music is an escape. I think it's like a horror movie or a, or a book. Um, and for people who don't find that that's enjoyable for them, there's other kinds of music, be it metal or, or indie rock or you know whatever. So um, that I pointed out in the episode as well. I really wanted to make it, make it clear that we're not celebrating any of this stuff, but at the same time, you know, we, we can't blame musicians for the music they make and the lyrics that they that they uh, use all mm. the John, did you watch that Geraldo Rivera episode when it aired in the 80s? John, you're breaking up. John? No! John? <laughs> hey, I'm sorry about this. I hope this doesn't really mess up. No, your, no, your you're good. So I'll, okay. ask, I'll ask the question. Um, did you watch the Geraldo Rivera episode when it aired in the 80s about the devil in metal? I actually did not. I, I knew about it, but for some reason it didn't... Uh, it didn't end up on my viewing schedule, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't really a concern because my parents let me listen to whatever I wanted to because I was you know I was a good kid I got decent grades didn't get into too much trouble and they never were concerned about my record collection although they saw some of the covers and shook their heads <laughs> but but uh, it was all uh, you know copacetic uh, I have friends who uh, <laughs> actually lost their whole record collection after that episode came out. Wow. When their parents, uh, parents, you know, who were conservative or Christian or whatever, uh, said, you will not listen to this anymore. This is going to turn you into a Satan worshiper or a murderer. That's a very sad thing. But um, in, in the episode, I point that out, that uh, Dino Cazares of Fear Factory had his whole, <laughs> whole music collection trashed. Wow. That's and, right. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a very real thing. People were terrified, you know, and maybe rightfully so because there was so much promotion about it and the media has a lot of power. And suddenly there are these bands surfacing that are singing much more graphically about, uh, about Satanism and, and, and the occult. But it was also all over, you know, movies like uh, The Exorcist and The Omen and uh, uh, books and kids were buying the Satanic Bible and, you know, uh, playing Ouija boards and tarot cards, so it was um, it was a curiosity that was uh, that was pass- passing through the uh, uh, I guess 
cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. I think, John, one of the things I find over the years, you listen to interviews and read books and stuff about musicians that are involved in death metal. A lot of them are very educated. They're very well read. And people out in the outside world that aren't really following them, they look at them and, and they don't think they're educated, like they're poorly educated. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And even if they're not educated in a uh, scholarly way, if they dropped out of high school or whatever, a lot of them are street smart. You have to be street smart to to succeed in a band for, for this many years. And uh, beyond that, a lot of them read. And, and one, of, one of the favorite parts of, of uh, the, the first episode I did was an interview with uh, Gary Holt, uh, you know, of, of Exodus and, and later Slayer. And uh, he's a smart guy, and, and he reads, and he pointed out that, you know, a lot of metal guys read, and they might be reading uh, Lovecraft or Stephen King or Clive Barker or, you know, graphic horror novels, and they won't be reading Jane Austen, but they are reading and they're absorbing it. And then he kind of said, I happen to love Jane Austen, which cracked me up because I'm like, wow, that's awesome hearing Gary Holt say he likes reading Jane Austen. <laughs> uh, but, but it's true, you know, no one can be put into a box and, and pigeonholed the way society likes likes to do it, especially with metal. Uh, you know, there's this, this cultural stereotype and, you know, of the, the lunk-headed um, caveman type aesthetic because of the aggressiveness of the music and sometimes the simplicity. But but that's, that's a fallacy, too, because I hear so many people say, oh, all metal sounds the same. Well, that's an absurd idea. Anybody who listens to it knows that there's so many different types of metal and so many distinctions. And then beyond that, you have bands like, you know, Metallica is more progressive stuff, has 10, 20 different tempo changes and rhythm changes within the same song. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of complexity going on. People say, oh, anybody could do that. Yeah, just go try. You know, <laughs> this stuff is... It requires a lot of, of uh, painstaking uh, uh, rehearsal and, and um, you know, uh, learning your instrument. I mean, a lot of these guys in their early days in high school, all they did was sit in their room and play guitar. And then later they got into a band and, you know, they got to hook up with girls and they got to, to, to enjoy partying. But in high school, they weren't partying necessarily. They were just constantly playing. Mm. That includes like Dimebag Daryl and, and, you know, Randy Rhodes and even Eddie Van Halen said he was just obsessively glued to his guitar. Mm. Now, one of my favorite books from last year is from a guy that fits exactly what you're doing in this podcast. And he actually mentioned him in the second uh, episode is, is David Vincent from Morbid Angel. He brought out his autobiography, I think, at the beginning of last year, around the same time your book came out called I Am Morbid. And I found that absolutely fascinating because he laid out, I don't know if you've read it, John, but he laid out all his belief systems and why he believed in what he believed. And one of the things that I got out of the book is it wasn't like sex, drugs and rock and roll. There was some of that, but it really made me think about how I approach my life and why I believed in what I, why I believed in what I believed in. And, and I remember I interviewed Joel McGyver, the author, and I, uh, I said exactly the same thing now with what I'm telling you. And, and he said that that was the reason for doing the book was that David wanted a, a book like that, that he wanted to address why he was the way he was. And I'm, I'm just not this death metal guy that stands up and sings these songs. There's a reason behind all of that. And I, I find all that fascinating with all these musicians that, you know, it's not a front for a lot of them. Like when they, right. get, when they get off the stage, this is who they are. And David addressed, this is why I am the way I am. And I, I don't know whether you've read that book, but I would highly recommend you should pick up a copy and read it. I've talked to David a bunch of times, uh, in, including for, for Raising Hell. And he's, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, I find him to be, to be very thoughtful and in, in, insightful. A little guarded just because he doesn't want to uh, fit into those stereotypes or necessarily be known for the guy who tells those absolutely crazy stories that he probably experienced. But um, in, in, doing, in doing the podcast, it was interesting talking about early Morbid Angel because they were the real deal. I mean, they 
called upon, you know, the powers of of, of uh, Satan for empowerment and 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 to help them through their shows and give them balance. And they weren't running around murdering cats or or I think they actually are all animal lovers, <laughs> but uh, they you know they weren't evil, but they embraced darkness. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and there's this great story, which I've heard from more than the person who told it in, on the podcast, but uh, it's, it's Kelly Schaefer from Atheist, who was touring with Morbid Angel. And he said he went backstage and saw the band uh, cutting their hand over a chalice and bleeding into the chalice as, as a pre-stage ritual. And that kind of, he said it, it blew him away. <laughs> and hearing it was like, wow. I mean, because I knew Trey cut himself before he went on stage, their guitarist Trey Azekta, sometimes as a, as a, I think it was a way to give him strength because he has, you know, he'd feel the pain and the pain would be projected into the the, the aggression of the music. But there were also some ritualistic elements there. And then I think the band dropped those over the years. While they still believed in in the powers of the occult, they didn't so much adhere to the to the tropes. But they were very young when they started doing the uh, the blood ritual kind of stuff. And uh, if you talk to Trey, he's a fascinating interview, but he's an eccentric individual. So he'll answer questions in a very round, roundabout way. Uh, and I did quote him in the in the podcast, which was which is great. He talks about how Satan was very much a paradigm for what they were trying to express at the time, and that's what it was good for. And now he calls upon other sources of spirituality for his uh, for his enlightenment. And I'm not a religious person, so I don't look at that as good or evil. I just look at it as interesting. The way that different people can can uh, harness energy and uh, develop strength through any, you know, Christianity or Satanism or Buddha or Wicca, you know, or or paganism, whatever whatever it is they do. And uh, it's a, a practice, you know, religion is. <laughs> It's a huge, huge, powerful thing that that almost everybody in the world is attached to one way or another. And mm. the atheists and agnostics out there, like me, um, are certainly in the minority. So it's kind of hard to criticize them and say, "Yeah, but they don't know what the hell they're talking about." So <laughs> I prefer to say, <laughs> I prefer to say I'm agnostic, so it doesn't put me in the hole of saying, "Yeah, well, you're wrong." Yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, John, do you think that the devil in me in exists? As upfront as it does in metal, like in other forms of music and other genres. Well, you know, the, the devil is a, is an archetype. So, w- what is the devil? The devil is is uh, the opposite of of uh, the angels. So, although Lucifer was the bringer of light and uh, you know was cast out of heaven in, in the Bible, so if you take it literally then it's the adversary to the mainstream or, the, or, or Christianity. But um, I think everybody has a bit of the devil in them and a bit of a bit of God in them. It's like sort of the angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. You know, no one's purely good or purely evil. I, I think people generally have a moral compass, and so they're able to, uh, uh, you know, live moralistic lives without uh, uh, committing horrible acts. You know, you have Alistair Crowley say, do with thy wilt. Uh, I don't think that's practical in a society that uh, is going to, to operate in a, on a functional level. Uh, if you do whatever you want, you have sheer chaos and anarchy, and it's been proven that that's not a way to to uh, keep keep things going. So I think you've got to love your fellow man, but give your fellow man their room to believe in whatever the hell they want and indulge in whatever kind of art and, and enjoy whatever type of expression they that works for them. Mm. Um, final question, John. Did you think of maybe contacting Michael Sweet from Striper from the Christian rock band to get his side of the devil in metal? <laughs> I was going to do and may still do, do an episode on, uh, on Christian metal. So it could come up. Um, I, I like Michael Sweet. I think he's an interesting guy. Uh, and, and he is... Yeah, I'm, I'm, did I talk to Michael or Stephen for Raising Hell? Now now I look... Uh, yeah, there are so many people in the book. Hopefully no one will <laughs> hold that against me. But uh, what's interesting about Striper is they were rockers, you know? They weren't just these these uh, um, 
you know, uh, warriors for Christ. They were partying. They were, uh, some of them were hooking up with girls. And uh, they were part of the Sunset Strip scene. And in, in Raising Hell, there was such a funny story that one of the brothers told me about how he wanted to hang out and watch Ozzy backstage. And Ozzy saw him and said, no, 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 you can't let the striper guy backstage because, uh, you know, that's, that's the antithesis of what we do. And that's good. It's just, uh, you know, horrible Christian metal. And, you know, I think Ozzy's not a Satanist. Ozzy's actually claims to believe in God. And, uh, and, and Black Sabbath, as I pointed out in the episode, were, were not Satanists. They were curious about the occult, but they didn't, uh, endorse, um, any sort of black magic. They were warning people about it, which is one of the hugest misnomers, I think, in metal. Um, but damn, they did it well. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I think it's it's funny that um, that, that Striper were so maligned for, for for their unique approach to metal. When you have a band like Trouble that did the same thing, but played doom metal and sounded, you know, as evil and and wicked as as uh, Sabbath or Candlemass or Pentagram, mm-hmm. uh, and where I loved them, I thought they were a great band from from Chicago. Um, but they too were were singing about. Uh, the dangers of of uh, hell and the, the benefits of, of being uh, being good, and uh, I wouldn't say they were a quote Christian band as they've been as, as they've been quoted as, but they certainly endorse good over evil. Hmm. So, John, tell people where they can listen to the podcast, maybe get in touch with you. Absolutely, um, the uh, Devil in Metal. Uh, Backstage of the Devil and Metal is uh, available on iHeartRadio and uh, Apple Music and wherever you listen to podcasts, really. And if you love metal, um, you'll, you'll find it interesting. It's not just about the devil. The devil is used sort of as as a loose uh, thread that goes through the episodes, but we also have episodes about groupies and uh, drugs and the, the horrors of uh, people who've fallen prey to alcoholism. There's a whole episode on, as I said before, uh, Judas Priest and their history, one on Ronnie Dio. So uh, we really tackle uh, a lot of aspects of metal that, that I felt real fans would uh, would find interesting. And um, it's uh, really it's out there. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be doing it and I thank anybody who, uh, who decides to listen to it and finds it uh, to their liking. John, are there any books you're working on at the moment that you can maybe tell me about? Um, You know, the whole COVID thing threw the book industry into a bit of a tailspin. So I've got some irons in the fire. uh, But right now, um, I'm uh, I'm working with a a buddy of mine who's a comedian, actually, Dave Landau, on uh, his his book, which is a, a tragic comedy about his uh, dysfunctional childhood and, and uh, young adulthood and how he turned himself around and, and is now an amazing comic, really brilliant guy. Um, and he's, he's self-publishing that, and uh, but that, that should be out pretty soon. Um, and it was great to work with him on that. And then uh, I also wrote a book for uh, a entrepreneur, uh, a radio um, guy who, who put together... Uh, started with a small radio station and then built it into an empire. He now has about 70 stations. Uh, his name is George Beasley, and he, it's a rags to riches story. He started out, uh, you know, um, picking uh, tobacco in the field uh, when his dad was a tobacco farmer. I'm sorry, his grandfather's dad died when he was quite young. Um, so, so it's a really interesting rags to riches story that should be out before before the end of the year, but. Nothing to do with with metal, uh, but the louder than hell still has likes. It's really kind of cool to see that people are still putting it on lists and mentioning it on posts, and um, that's uh, that seems to be a, a book that that uh, people can turn to uh, through the years. It doesn't have that kind of short shelf life, which which I'm I'm proud about. And then, of course, I encourage anybody to to check out uh, Al Jurgensen's book that I did with him. Uh, Ministry of the Lost Gospels, according to Al Jorgensen, and uh, Scott Ian's book, Scott from Anthrax, called I'm the Man, the story of that guy from Anthrax. And then uh, My Riot, 
which is Roger Moret from Agnostic Fronts, uh, just nail-biting tale of, uh, of the hardcore scene. And uh, that's called Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. And you can find them all on Amazon. Uh, so I hope it wasn't too self-promotional there, but, uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's cool when people discover your stuff and when you have an outlet. And uh, I think people who like the podcast and like to read, we'll, we'll find these, these books really interesting. Mm. John, you're going to have people asking you to update Louder Than Hell if it's 10 years old. You know what? I'm talking to my co-author about doing the same thing, and she <laughs> wants to. Wow. We have a different editor now at uh, the book company. So we're trying to figure out a way that maybe we can do it, but when the original keeps selling, the book company isn't inclined to say, yeah, let's print up a whole new edition with even more pages. That's a 750 <laughs> <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember when I bought that book, right? And I, I read it years ago and I looked at it and it just sat there for a while because of, I'm like, it's so big. I'm, and I could read books that are like 200, 250, 300. And eventually I just picked it up and I went, fuck it. And I just read it. And I thought it was really, really well done. But it was one of these daunting books that just sits there. It's like Stephen King's It or something like A Thousand Pages <laughs> or The Stand. It's like, do I really want to spend like six weeks reading one book? And I'm like, I was glad I did it in the end. But it, it is it is a long read. And if you update that, you're looking at A Thousand Pages. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, tur- to turn it into two volumes. Uh, you know, I can't say that'll ever happen. Um, but it would be cool because then we could go in and take out some of the parts that might be a little extraneous and put in elements about newer bands. And I really want to do a post-metal chapter. I thought that would be very cool. Um, and then there's, you know, an awful lot of these groups like, uh, the Black Veil Brides in Asking Alexandria that have commanded big followings. And, uh, you know, whether it's your cup of tea or not, uh, a lot of the kids, today are really are really tapping into those types of bands and um it would be interesting to to go in although at the same time i think the obsession with metal and the timetable of metal really hit that i don't want to call it a finishing point but it really hit that climax with the 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 scene that brought us uh mastodon and slipknot and kill switch engage um I'm probably forgetting someone, but those are the bands that, that still, uh, um, uh, of course, Lamb of God, all those bands are still thought of as, you know, almost newer bands, even though they're all 10 plus 15 plus years old. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, that's like the today's pinnacle, I think in some ways, um, you know, uh, but everyone has their own opinion. I'm sure people are into way more underground or newer bands that, uh, I'm not familiar with, or that's the great thing about metal is it just keeps growing and growing and there's so many outlets for it now. Um, and you could be completely an underground fanatic and, and obsess on bands that most people have never heard of or go back and listen to all the, all, all the classics. And it's, it's all, it's all great stuff. Mm. Well, John, I'm going to leave you go. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time, and, and uh, I'm glad you like the podcast. Yeah, I do. I'm looking forward now to hearing the rest of them. So, John, have a good rest of the day. Thanks, you too. All right, bye. All right, there you go. There is Richie's chat with journalist John Wiederhorn. And now I should call him journalist slash podcaster John Wiederhorn. Welcome to the fold, John, into the happy world of podcasting. And again, uh, you know, if you're digging what John's talking about, then uh, I definitely urge you to check out his podcast, Backstaged, The Devil in Metal. Has quite a few episodes up there now, what, five or six of them. He's got The Satanic Verses, Volume 1 and 2, Black Sabbath, and The Root of All Evil. And the latest one, as of when I'm doing this, is he put one out called Girls, Girls, Girls. And uh, if you know, you're trying to figure out where to get it, you can just go up to Google and just Google Backstaged, The Devil in Metal, and you'll have all kinds of options for it, including uh, Apple Podcast and, and everywhere else. But definitely be sure to check that out. It's always interesting stuff. Lots of books been written on through the years about this topic as well. 
But uh, it's always better to have something like this where you can dig in with somebody who's uh, pretty respected like John and really dig into the topic. And, you know, again, John, if you're listening, I don't know. I know what Richie's talking about with the Louder Than Hell book, but I don't know. I'm feeling the volume two, and I'm thinking it's a short hop for you to make that one happen, brother. I mean, make a deal with the devil or something on it. You know, you're, you're starting to get in good with old Hornhead, so uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll work out for you. And just another word as well, I know, you know the audio at the beginning of this, and even a little bit now here, uh, I've got a little bit of graininess happening coming in on the audio. I don't, I don't know what it is. I got I to look. I moved some of the... Some of the studio equipment around, I guarantee you I've got some like really just janky cords somewhere in the patch bay from hell over there. And uh, that's probably what's leading to a little bit of this kind of crispiness happening. But uh, hopefully I'll figure it out before next time. And speaking of next time, uh, I've got a pretty much a 95% confidence level of what is coming up next week right here on Focus on Metal. And that will be... A very long chat with a guy who's been the voice of uh, Grand Prix and Fire Corporation and with Shanker Fest and with Black Swan. And I got to say it now, the Macaulay Shanker Group. So that's right. Rob Macaulay back on the show again. Like I said, 95% chance of that happening next week and talking mostly about his brand new solo album, Standing on the Edge, but uh, also I haven't even delved into any of the audio yet, but Richie assures me that this is indeed a chat and not just a giant promotional plug for the new album. So if all goes well for next week, then that's what we'll be doing. Uh, Together, we'll find out what is on Robin McCauley's mind these days. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great Metal Week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home. No, I, I, got a, I got the bread baking fucking channel on now. What's the bread bag? Bread baking channel. And these two fucking old cunts fucking bre- break, baking fucking bread. Uh, you see, I'm t- clicking and it's got these two grinning fucking baboons fucking baking fucking homemade bread. I can't, I can't, I can't get anything else. <laughs> I've never heard of this. It's a, it's, a, it's a new channel. The cooking channel. The bake, the bed, the bake your own bread channel. <laughs>